Today on Star Wars The Hyra Podcast, we talk a little bit more about publishing news, we read Dark Temple issue number three, and if you stick through all the way to the end of the episode, we will execute Order 66. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Hyra Podcast. I hope that you've all been uh, hanging in there in a really um, difficult time in the world and here in the U.S., Um, But anyway, uh, we're here to focus on Star Wars and try not to think about all of the problems that that are going on outside of the Star Wars universe. Um, Last episode, I did interrupt my regular stream of things where I had been covering the Dark Temple line of comics because um, we did have breaking news that the High Republic um, era, the whole publishing event and all the books and comics had been suspended into 2021 um, to give room with the pandemic to make sure that publishing has gone back to normal and that Lucasfilm is able to give it the attention um, and kind of organization and, you know, event feeling that they had planned for it. So we had um, reported on that. And I also talked about the new um, VR game that had been announced called Tales from the Galaxy's Edge, which we really don't know much about. Um, except for the title and that it takes place on the outskirts of um, Black Spire Outpost um, on, on Batu, which is the, the setting for the Disney uh, Star Wars theme park. So we covered that last time and today we're going to be jumping back into the Dark Temple series, but I did um, have a little bit more news to share. Um, on last podcast, I mentioned that maybe with the High Republic era being delayed, uh, maybe the publishing division would um, throw out some Uh, additional content that we either hadn't heard about yet or that was scheduled for later on um, and maybe push that earlier since there's now going to be six months where they had planned to really be focusing on the High Republic era that is now not going to have those books coming out. And I specifically mentioned that maybe the new um, Thrawn book, which is um, part of a new Thrawn trilogy that Timothy Zahn is working on called um, Thrawn uh, Ascendancy, I was thinking that maybe um, that book would be coming out a little bit earlier because it was originally scheduled for spring. It got pushed back to um, to October 6th uh, to make room for the High Republic um, releases. And so um, I was thinking maybe they would push that back sooner again, and they did. They announced a few days ago that they are going to be publishing that um, in, uh, in September, on the 1st of September, instead of waiting until October. So we're going to get that a little sooner and we'll see what else might happen. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they, they pushed up some other releases that they hadn't been planning on putting out, um, until after all of the High Republic stuff had, had come out. And now maybe they're going to, um, shift those a little bit, uh, sooner. So maybe we'll, we'll have some additional, um, you know, surprises or something good to kind of come from the High Republic books being delayed. Uh, And of course, they also have a bunch of books that are already planned that were planned before um, the High Republic uh, stuff all got pushed back um, that is still scheduled to come out. And as far as we know now, no changes in release dates for those. So first of all, tomorrow, Tuesday, June 2nd, we have Queen's Peril coming out which is a prequel to the Queen's Shadow book that we got. Um, And so um, I'm definitely going to be covering that, probably starting on Thursday. I won't have read it all by then, but um, I will probably weigh in with my feelings on on the first part of it, at least. Um, And then we have later this month, in about three weeks, on June 23rd, we have Shadowfall, which is the second book in the Alphabet Squadron um, trilogy, 
which is by Alexander Freed. So that's ex uh, exciting. Um, and I'm actually just, I'm looking at the cover now and, um, you know, they're saying an Alphabet Squadron novel. Like, I wonder if they're moving away from calling it a trilogy and maybe they're open to having it be a series. I know a lot of us really missed the like long running series like the X-Wing books um, that we got and, and it would be cool to have something. I mean, I know they specifically said that they're not trying to recreate that with this line, but really, you know, it would be fun to just get something that was um, more kind of long running, uh, like serialized content. So who knows? Um, and then in July, we get the Dr. Aphra um, audio, um, what do they call those, audio drama, like a, kind of like an old school radio drama, <laughs> except um, for, for Audible. And that's basically going to be a retelling of the early Dr. Aphra comics, um, but they are going to add in some details, of course, and, you know, it'll just be a different um, medium. I'm really, I mean, I'm thinking that this is probably not only, you know, just a way to, um, to build on the story of someone who has been a fan favorite, but I'm wondering if they're also doing this um, because they have bigger things planned for this character, such as a live action appearance and a future Star Wars TV show, and they want more uh, fans to you know, get to know this character. So there's a lot of fans who just don't read comics, who may read novels or, you know, may listen to audiobooks. And so maybe they're trying to familiarize more people with this character in advance of moving something bigger forward. Who knows? But in any case, whether whatever the, the deal is with that, I, I'm I'm excited to to listen to that in July. So anyway, we have lots of exciting things coming up. Um and uh yeah, I don't know. Um I'm I'm excited and I'm happy to see some things like Throng getting moved up a little bit. I mean, it really is a pretty, um, you know, solid release uh, schedule. And somewhere in here, we also have the Poe Dameron um, novel. I, I think that's coming out in um, August, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, we really do have a lot of content, even without the, the High Republic stuff coming out anytime soon. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to mention as a little bit of news um, is that there have been rumors of a, um, of a new Star Wars uh, video game called Project Maverick, uh, and there has been, uh, you know, kind of a rumor going around that we're going to hear more about it tomorrow. Bespin Bulletin was reporting that there's been a lot of delays for some of this kind of stuff with people, um, you know, organizations not kind of making big news statements or, you know, announcements on social media kind of in solidarity with all the protests that are happening right now. So maybe that won't happen tomorrow, but we do have news that there, or, you know, a rumor that there's going to be a new video game um, announced pretty soon. And I think that I've read that, it, you know, speaking of the old um, X-Wing stuff, um, like it may be more like the old kind of um, uh, piloting games that we used to have. And I used to love those. Um, when I was a kid, I had the TIE Fighter one, I had the X-Wing one. I remember on my old computer, like the first computer that my family owned, playing those games and just, you know, flying around, blowing up ships. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And I know that we've gotten some of that in uh, in the Battlefront games, but, you know, it's really, I don't know. For me, it's not the same as like an add-on to a game that is mostly a, a, a shooter, you know, to have an add-on flight mode versus like a game that's based in flight. So that would be really cool. And I'm looking forward to hearing about that. But anyway, um, without further ado, I want to jump in and start talking about Dark Temple number three, which is where I was in the um, in the series when I paused last week to talk about all of the news that we heard coming out. 
So as with the other uh, issues in the series, we start out this issue with a look at um, things in the Jedi Fallen Order time frame. So basically when we have the Purge Troopers, um, we have the Inquisitor, you know, after the fall of the Republic. Um, this is kind of the flash forward, or I guess you could look at the main storyline as being all flashback. Um, but you know, most of the story takes place in the days of the Republic. And then each issue so far um, has started out with something happening in, you know, the time um, of the, the Empire. So in this issue, we see the Inquisitor finally find the temple that we've heard so much about. And at this point, the entrance is underground, which is interesting because in the in images that we've seen of the temple so far, it's definitely an above ground temple. So um, I'm sure that we're going to learn more about that and why, you know, the temple itself has been hidden away. Now, um, they do have to continue their fight uh, to get there. And they do shoot down someone, um, the, the purge troopers, shoot down a, um, I had to look this up, uh, Gigorin or Jigorin. Um, and, uh, at first I thought that it was Moroff, which was one of the characters from Rogue One. Um, it, they look kind of like a big albino Wookiee with extra long fur and they have some kind of like a, a breath mask on. Um, and, uh, I thought that this was the same one at first, and I was thinking about the timeline, and, you know, Rogue One was definitely a long time after Jedi Fallen Order, so that would not have made sense with the uh, the timeline of the stories. So I was just looking up on Wikipedia and saw that, you know, a, a lot of these creatures look pretty much the same. They all have the same breathing mask, at least the ones that have appeared in Star Wars canon, and I remembered that one um, was in the Aphra series as well. Uh, so, you know, there are more than one of these things floating around out there in the galaxy and one gets gunned down here so there's clearly you know a um a group of people still left in Phylar all of these years later who are defending the temple and it's been you know hidden away um underground and uh like I said I'm sure that we're gonna find that out in a future issue but we do not in issue three anyway that's all that we really get in the few pages that are focused on the part of the story that takes place in the time of Jedi Fallen Order and then we jump back to continue the story of what's happening um, with Serjunda and her master, Eno Cordova. Now, we see that um, in this issue, Sayer has to fend off multiple attacks um, from the Da Corporation who are, you know, there to enter the temple. So at first they come, they, they're there ready to, you know, force their way into the temple to do whatever kind of exploration or excavation that they want to do. And um, she helps to fend them off. Um, in the attack, she's very careful to not kill any of the officers and only to destroy the um, the droids that they have there as part of their you know their defense or offense or however you want to look at it. Um, I thought that this was really interesting and I think it speaks to you know this idea of the Jedi as peacekeepers. Um, I think that you know Seer did a really good job of keeping that line. And you know if you've played Jedi Fallen Order, you know that Seer is plagued by a lot of the decisions that she's made and. Um, it's kind of nice to see her in a more idealistic time where she was able to really, you know, stick to her ideals and um, and live by what she was preaching and make sure that, you know, no no people were harmed um, despite the, the droids being destroyed. Um, 
a few other things that I was thinking about when I was reading this. One is, I think that the use of the droid army was such a brilliant move by George Lucas in the prequels because it really does allow the Jedi to, like, keep the moral high ground for a, a long time. At least we feel like they have the moral high ground, right? Because if the Separatists had been using people as their army, either volunteers or clones or what have you, there would have been a much more, it would have been much darker from the beginning, I think, like the idea of the Jedi going to war and leading a war, if they were out there killing people in order to do that, I think that that would have been too much of a flag, both for them and the audience, like, hold on, this, you know, they shouldn't be doing this, this isn't right. I think that using the droid army was a brilliant move by George Lucas to basically let, um, let the audience feel really comfortable with what was happening. Like, we didn't have to feel bad at all for the bad guys because they weren't even alive, you know? It was just droids getting cut down. And so, um, you know, we didn't have to worry about how the other side was feeling. It was always, uh, you know, kind of a... a an easy enemy to, to just... Uh, I don't know, demonize or or not feel sympathetic for. And it really allowed the story to progress in a way that the Jedi becoming more and more intertwined in this conflict and moving away from their ideals. It was just an easier, um, you know, it, it was it was a less obvious kind of slide, um, which I think was really interesting. You know, had they been fighting off against clones, let's say, I think that the audience's reaction would have been more um, from the beginning, you know, oh, this doesn't feel right that they're just slicing through, you know, these human beings who are being co-opted into this uh, war. And I think that for the Jedi too, you know, it, it would have been um, a little bit more, I don't know, this, the story wouldn't have been as, as believable because I really do feel like the prequels are very believable in how they show, you know, the downturn of this great organization and the, the failure of a democracy. I think it would have been um, less kind of viable that, you know, the Jedi, no one kind of saw the flaw in their ways if they were killing millions of of uh, living troops along the way to, to secure their victory. So again, here, I think that that was used to really good effect of, um, you know, the, the, the hero of the story, Ser Junda, was able to um, stick with these rebels who are kind of, you know, by the other side used as terrorists, and she was able to stick by them um, without kind of... Uh, doing anything that sh that may kind of raise a flag about her morality or that she may regret later. Because one of the big themes in this issue is that we still don't really know, like, exactly which side people are on or who are the good guys or who are the bad guys. And I'm going to get to that more later as we progress in the story. But anyway, um, Sir has to fend off another attack. Um, they, they come back kind of to, to get them and she fends off another attack. It's a really action heavy issue, um, which I think, you know, there, there is quite a bit of dialogue, but it's really, um, it's all about the action here and her, um, fending off and, and, you know, be, being part of this fight. And then we switch to the other side and we get to see, um, the, the Da Corporation and how they are reacting to that. So we have the, the, you know, owner of the Da Corporation hearing about the loss and is really concerned for what he originally assumes are the loss of his um, of his personnel, which to me was like another, you know, another signal that, oh, maybe this this isn't a bad guy or maybe, you know, maybe the authors are are um, are 
just trying to play tricks with us or making us second guess it. I don't know that it hasn't been resolved in the story yet, but definitely I was surprised to see that his main concern wasn't the loss of property, but was, you know, the loss of, um, of life until he's corrected and told that, you know, Seer managed to fend off his army without killing any of his men. So that's definitely, um, interesting too. And finally, we have the two of them with a confrontation in which um, Dot uh, is surprised in his quarters um, by Seer Junda. She shows up um, kind of out of nowhere, having snuck in to confront him. Um, and this is where things really get interesting with the story and where we're kind of left with a big cliffhanger for issue number four. So I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll come back. We'll discuss that ending and um, what might be coming next in issue number four. And I have a fun little um, gameplay thing to mention from uh, from Jedi Fallen Order that I want to remember to throw into the end of the podcast before I forget to share it with you because it was something that I really enjoyed and maybe you will too. So Delanto Da, the owner of the corporation, has a big surprise for Seer um, when she confronts him in his quarters, which is that her master is still alive and they actually come um, blade to blade when she is surprised by someone's presence and, you know, reacts by igniting her lightsaber and turning around where he's uh, also risen his in defense. So that was a really funny moment to see. And of course, you know, the big twist here, which... Obviously, having played Jedi Fallen Order, I was pretty sure that um, Cordova didn't die, um, as we were led to believe in issue number one of this comic series. Um, it was possible because I don't think that we learned in Jedi Fallen Order how he died, but I would have just been surprised that he was killed off in the very beginning of this series. So I've been waiting for him to make his return, and here he does it. And Daha says that, you know, after the convoy was destroyed, um, that uh, Cordova was badly injured and that he brought him back, um, kept him safe, you know, healed him with Bacta and also kept his, um, his survival a secret just to make sure that no one would come after him. Now, Cordova says that he contacted the Jedi Order and explained what was going on and that, you know, basically he and the Jedi Order have been siding with the corporation and do believe that the Falari are, you know, the bad guys in this scenario and are um, impeding a, a legitimate operation and basically, you know, killing people indiscriminately. So um, we definitely have the two of them um, in a showdown here. And like I said, we don't find out in this episode who's right and who's wrong there, because basically they go to um, Phylar, to where the temple is, and they decide to begin um, separating the two of them and have them agree to kind of an armistice while they work out a, a peace agreement. And while they're all distracted with this, we end the story um, with Cordova and Seer getting ready to go in to the temple. So um, very interesting ending here. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention before I forget is that we do see here the same statues um, outside of this temple as we see in um, Jedi Fallen Order. So we know that these are, are definitely connected and that um, it must be the same group of people who um, made those temples that have made these. So this is, of course, the ancient Zepho uh, civilization. We see their home planet and we see some of their off-planet tombs like we do on Bogano. Um, and they have a very, you know, memorable um, look to them with kind of a almost like a 
the top half of their head is kind of like a football shape and then it goes down into a more humanoid face below their their ears and we see this very familiar shape of one of them in robes here at the temple entrance um, so that was really cool to see and since I've been replaying the game um, as I read through I recognized that right away and that was nice to see um, but what I think is really interesting here about how the story ends because we still don't know you know, if which side is to blame, quote unquote, or maybe they both share some blame, maybe neither are really, you know, quote unquote bad, maybe they, they both do have good intentions. But it's interesting to see that Cordova is really, um, you know, he says that that the Doc Corporation has the same goal that the Jedi have, which is exploring the temple and, um, and learning more about it. And I think that the idea of knowledge as this kind of temptation um, is a big theme in Star Wars. Definitely we see that as being part of Palpatine's seduction um, of Anakin to the dark side is that all of this knowledge exists and that, you know, it's, it's their job um, to learn about it and to absorb that knowledge and not to um, be afraid of it or, or censor knowledge. And I think it's another interesting thing about uh, the Jedi and, and some of their, you know, what we could call hypocrisy that the Jedi um, really do fear a lot of knowledge getting out there. And, you know, they're they're supposed to be beyond fear, right? Fear leads to anger, anger to hate, hate to suffering. That's a big part of their motto and their psyche. And yet they do um, believe that a lot of uh, knowledge needs to be sealed off from not only, you know, the common person on the street, but also to a lot of the Jedi. So we saw, um, you know, in, in Clone Wars episodes, for example, that the Jedi archives are really locked down and that there's a lot of information that's blocked off. Um, and I think that uh, the, you know, the idea that um, Sith information in particular was closed off from the average Jedi Knight and only open to Jedi Masters, you know, really spoke to this kind of fear that they had of um, of secrets getting out and of information getting into the wrong hands. And I think this is like an example of... Um, of a, of a Jedi who is way more uh, wanting to find knowledge for knowledge's sake, right? And that kind of has its, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't think that one of them is, is clearly tied to the light or the dark, uh, but it's just, uh, it's contrary to a lot of what we see um, with some of the, uh, the Jedi in the Jedi Council really wanting to, to stick to their narrative, stick to their, their, their dogma, um, and keep keep a lot of information hidden. You know, I didn't get a real exploratory vibe from the Jedi Council. They often seem to be discouraging exploration and asking questions and, you know, really wanted people to focus um, on, on whatever they had presented to them to learn. So I think that it's interesting that we see Cordova, you know, just being really open-minded and really wanting to learn. Um, at the same time, I can see how it would kind of drive him um, to go past some of the Jedi ideals a little bit where, you know, he, he has a local people here who are um, objecting to them exploring the temple. And for him, you know, he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about what the corporation's, you know, side motivations might be. He just thinks that, you know, we should just get in there and learn and, um, and see what, what the temple can teach us. And that's really where he's focused on. And to me, that's not a particularly, uh, 
strong Jedi motivation either. You know, I think that there needs to probably be a balance from from the ideal kind of Jedi perspective between uh, not wanting to fear knowledge, not wanting to be um, elitist and kind of, you know, limit knowledge to the select few and, and block it off from the rest. I think that that's kind of a an abuse of Jedi ideals. But I also think that it's interesting that he is um, kind of like Anakin, you know, really wanting to um, to get information and isn't maybe paying attention to the cost of that here. And I think that, um, you know, we see in a lot of his um, behaviors that, that we notice in Jedi Fallen Order, you know, that he's kind of a hermit. Um, he's off doing his own thing a lot of the time. He's, you know, doing these explorations of, of different temples and whatnot. And um, it was weird to see and to think about a Jedi, you know, living as a hermit during the time of the Jedi Order when, in theory, he should have been, uh, you know, part of, of Jedi civilization, part of the temple, right? Uh, it's just not something that we're used to seeing a lot of. So he's definitely continues to be a more and more interesting um, figure and one that I'm glad that we're getting to learn more about through the comic series, and I hope that we haven't seen the last of him. It also just makes me think about, you know, thinking about the High Republic era and what I'm hoping to see out of that. Um, I mentioned before that one thing that I would like to see are just Jedi with different like disciplines or, or roles. And we get a lot of that in um, what's now deemed legends where, you know, there were Jedi who uh, who had just diplomatic positions. There were Jedi who were, um, you know, researchers. And by the time we get to the the prequels, you know, most of what we see there and what we see in the Clone Wars are that pretty much all of the Jedi have been, you know, co-opted into the war effort. They're all warriors um, and fighters. And we don't see um, much of that, you know, in terms of, of Jedi with other roles who aren't focused on that. And so I hope that that's something that we'll see more of, of the Jedi in their heyday, are like Jedi with other occupations. Like, I know that the Jedi are, are knights, so maybe some basic training in combat would make sense for any knight. But I also think that there's really no reason why um, Jedi would need to be kind of jacks of all trades. You know, these are supposed to be people who are, who are force users, who... Um, are are serving the force right and are serving people of the republic um through their abilities with the force so it really doesn't make sense from that perspective that they're all going to be you know uh like trained in combat and expected to go out and fight and use their lightsabers on the regular basis it actually would make much more sense if people were kind of specialized in different areas and weren't all focused on on fighting and you know protecting people with a blade when, you know, there are lots of other roles that they could be playing um, in in the galaxy. So I think that that's what makes Cordova, you know, an interesting character. He really is someone who is more of an explorer and a historian um, and is really driven by that, perhaps more than he even should be. Um, and, you know, so far, at least in this in this comic, we haven't seen him playing a, a combat role like we've seen Sir playing. We've really seen him kind of like, um, I don't know, like almost like an archaeologist along for the for the journey. Um, and it's been Seer who's kind of been the one who's quickly jumping into conflicts, both in the first issue, you know, before the, the main part of the story began. And now, since she's been here on this planet, um, you know, she's been kind of dragged into combat on a regular basis. But we haven't seen that from her master. He seems... Um, you know, more more like a, a a gentleman, I guess. More, um, I don't know. I I get just 
kind of the sense of like of an old professor um, who's you know on an expedition and um, knows how to use a weapon but prefers not to if he can help it so I think that that kind of um, character type is is a really interesting one and something that we don't get to see much of at all in the movies and something that I hope that we get to see of more um, moving forward because it does make sense that in a pre-militarized Jedi Order, there would have been a lot more um, room for that kind of thing. So um, it really does um, make sense and kind of piqued my interest. So that's all I really have to say about the comic. That's how this issue ends. Next time, um, I will continue with issue number four. Not in the immediate next podcast, because I'm, I'm going to be taking a break to cover uh, Queen's Peril when that comes out tomorrow. But when I jump back in, I'll be going back to issue number four. Um, I have been continuing to play Jedi Fallen Order a little bit so that I can kind of relive that and throw in some observations and thoughts on that and the podcast along the way. And um, one thing that I forgot to mention last time, which I had discovered as I started replaying the story, is that I had heard um, online uh, a rumor that... Uh, if you, in one scene towards the beginning of the game, if you um, tap the uh, button on a door 66 times, you will hear Palpatine um, with his famous execute order 66 line. Um, and so I I had never, never tried it myself and I hadn't seen a video of anyone doing it. I had just heard that you could do it. And I managed to find the point in the game when that happens, um, which is basically while you're on the, the train, um, you know, Again, I'm avoiding big spoilers for the game, but you know, towards the beginning of the game, you're you're on a train, you're trying to escape the Inquisitor, and uh, you at one point uh, kind of come to the end of the the train cars where you can't pass through anymore, where you're about to experience a vision, and so you know you go to unlock the door as you have other ones, and the door doesn't open, and that's the point where you can uh, click the button 66 times and hear the Emperor saying this, and I tried it out, and it actually did work, and I recorded my doing it. So I'm going to post the video to my Instagram account, which is just at Hyra Podcast. Um, and I'm going to play the audio here in a second once I finish um, my description. But I did want to point it out because I had a lot of fun. It was one of the things that I had said before that when I finish, um, you know, when I go back and replay the game eventually, I want to make sure I remember to do it. So I'm glad that I did because it's not something that you can revisit, you know, um, the, the first planet that you're on, you can't uh, go back to later on in the game. Like the other planets that you visit in the game, you can bounce back and forth. You can return to them. You can continue exploring. But the first planet that you're on, you can't return to once you leave. So you have to start playing the game over again um, to be able to play that moment. So I was glad that I remembered it this time. And I was kind of surprised that it worked. I just always find those Easter eggs to be hilarious because, you know, for me to do it, it only took me, you know, about 66 seconds, like one second per click, more or less. Um, so it was a pretty good investment of a little over a minute of my time. But like, who figured that out to begin with? I just don't understand how people do that. Like, who just decided I'm I'm going to just keep on clicking this door and, and you know, were, were they thinking that if they clicked it 66 times, something would happen because that is just so random. Like who would have had that thought? So was someone just sitting on the game thinking, I'm just going to keep clicking this button and see what happens. I just never understand these things. Like I like to think about myself as being a gamer because I love video games and I play a fair amount, but I think about the level of like commitment that some people have to this stuff and uh, and I just can't match it. It brings me back to reality. Like I have the patience to press it 66 times 
knowing that there's a good chance that I heard a correct rumor and that something will happen, but I, I'm not prepared to just go through the rest of the game clicking everything that I come across 66 times to see if I <laughs> I hear Sheev Palpatine's voice. But anyway, I'm going to play that clip um, to close us out. And uh, yeah, I hope that you'll tune in for the next edition of the podcast where I will be covering some of Queen's Peril. If you have been reading along in this comic series with me, definitely go ahead and read issue number four and I will cover it probably on um, on one of the podcasts next week once I, I pause for Queen's Peril. So um, keep on reading along with me if you are, and uh, thanks as always for listening. 63, 64, 65. It works!